We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal have spoken to the Premier League and have agreed to play every single day this week as long as they keep giving us crappy opposition. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Bachman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, don't call off the games. Not now. Not the way we're playing. Emma Smith-Rowe probably scored three more goals right now while I'm talking. If he shoots, it scores. I mean, that that is the rule. That's how it works. Uh, by the way, my intro not intended by... Uh, by any means, as a knock on Arsenal, we are doing exactly what you should do when you want to be a good team, which is batter lesser teams. And we are battering lesser teams. And uh, I, for one, am enjoying the hell out of it. Like, it is it is absolutely the case that if we want to keep playing crappy teams and beating the absolute snot out of them, uh, I am here for it, and I will continue to enjoy it perpetually. So, really fun, unfortunately... We will not get to play Wolves at home this week, which means our next game is against Manchester City. Now, they did just concede three times uh, against Leicester, so they are reeling, and we can probably turn them over. I mean, look, I guess theoretically you have to mention they scored six in that game. So, you know, I guess take this sweet smooth with the rough, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas if you celebrated. Uh, and if not, I hope you had a great weekend. Either way, I think Arsenal made it a much sweeter occasion. I hope you're looking forward to a happy, healthy New Year. I feel like at the end of every year for the last couple of years, we've been saying, well, good riddance to this year. But this is a year that at least from the footballing side, as we exit it, I think we're exiting it feeling pretty good about the future. And when has that ever gone badly? Um, here with me now to discuss a game that was a hell of a lot of fun. 5-0 Arsenal. You don't get a lot of those, so let's dive into them. Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Nope, that's wrong. Uh, you know what? We'll, we'll fix that in post. No, I'm kidding. We won't fix that in post. We'll just say hello to Tim anyway. You can find him on Twitter at Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I mean, let's be honest. It's easy to confuse the two of you, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of similarity there. A lot of similarity there. And you are coming to us from uh, the warm confines, cozy, sunny, warm Brazil, correct? Uh, partially correct. It's actually raining quite a lot at the moment, so... <laughs> well, good. I think for everybody who can't uh, stomach somebody else having good weather, or good good feelings when they are sad, that that'll make people feel better. But uh, how is Brazil going? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. All good. Thank you. But yeah, we are having like quite a bit of rain. The, the thing is here, like, um, it only really rain, like, cause it's a tropical climate, right? My wife's hometown. It only really rains about twice a year, but when it does, it means it like it's, mm. it's absolutely torrential. And today, yeah, we've just got a day of like tropical rain. It's still about, um, 28 degrees. Um, but not much sun, just a lot of rain today. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure it will stop and be beautiful long before it is beautiful here. I literally just had like a hour and a half drive to go about 10 miles because my world is a winter hellscape covered in ice. Um, by the way, I, and I'm going to ask this, Tim, we'll, we'll go to Parent Corner here, which is a new feature we're doing on the Arsenal Vision <laughs> podcast. How did Ava do with the flight from London to Brazil? Um, okay, so we flew overnight. So it wasn't bad because uh, she slept for most of it. But unfortunately, the airline has this really ridiculous policy where babies like who are under, who are, sorry, older than one don't get like a crib. But if they're younger than two, they don't get their own seat. So when they're between one and two, they get neither, which is like really ridiculous. Uh, very fortunately, we had um, a spare seat next to us. Otherwise, we were just expected to have her on our lap, uh, sleeping on us overnight, which is not really ideal. And I'd really like to talk to the individual who thought that that was a good idea and make them travel for 11 hours with a 16 month old. And I'm pretty sure they'd reverse that policy quite quickly. And then deal with the fallout of the, uh, time change, the jet lag on a, on a 14 month old, because as someone who still cannot tolerate jet lag, uh, <laughs> babies famously not good when their schedule is changed. <laughs> no, true. Although it's only three hours. So it's, it's, it's not is terrible. It really? Gosh, yeah, that's yeah. you know, somehow you think of it as being so far away. It must be a lot of time, but it's not. Okay. Well, good. That was fun. Um, well, Tim, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, oh, enjoy that. Uh, all right, let, let's. You're not Clive, and and it's all rather underwhelming. But thanks, Tim. But thanks, but thanks for your contribution. Uh, I thought you did a fantastic job hosting the Instant Reaction Pod. By the way, I have a lot of fun. We put out three of them: uh, one with Tim, Paul, Clive; one with me, and one with Scott. And Scott was in his cups in a substantial way. Uh, and I had to be on the bourbon just to get up the strength to post it. But it was it was a hell of a lot of fun. So you know what else is a hell of a lot of fun right now, Paul? Is Arsenal. Turns yeah. out. Um, now, I think the breaking news after the game is that Arsenal may have been aware or somewhat aware that the Wolves game was going to be called off before picking the lineup. And that lets us elide the debate over whether the lineup showed sufficient concern for the fixture congestion, which is nice that we don't have to deal with that. Um, and as a result, we, we <laughs> bummer, missed miss that debate. Uh, but we just get to talk about what was another really fun uh, exciting attacking performance. And the one thing that I just so, sort of want to start with is the debate over, you know, how much of this is confirmation of an improvement and how much of this is just the way the fixtures have shaken out. In my instant reaction pod, I said, I think this is different. I think we are seeing something different about Arsenal. I know there are some people that will point to the level of opposition, but like, I believe we lost to Norwich at home last season. And, you know, if you want to be a top four team, you don't actually need to beat the big teams. You need to batter the weak teams. It's how we used to do it, actually. And and we are doing that. So do you have a mm -hmm. sense of... I do. ...of how much you want to attribute to this being the way the fixtures have lined up and how much you want to attribute to things you think are genuinely different about the way we're playing? Yeah, look, I think this is where the skill of the analyst, the viewer, the podcaster comes in here because I think both are true. I think 
Norwich were legit terrible. My God, I tried to run them through the uh, Crapatron, but they gummed up the works. <laughs> um, and like we played a couple of other teams that are not at their zenith. Like we didn't play the best West Ham. Uh, the I, I, we said first, we didn't play the best twats, which is also yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> we didn't play the best wham. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where the skill comes into it, right? Uh, if there is such a thing. That's where watching with your eyes comes into it. Something's clearly clicked. And as I said before, that doesn't mean we can all sleep at night. That which clicks can unclick. But we're different now against weaker teams uh, or mediocre teams. And like it clicked just after Everton. Like what we did at United and Everton um, was was poor. We didn't come with, uh, if you want to go into soft factors, belief, but it just wasn't front, front-footed. It wasn't, we weren't uh, taking the initiative and driving it home and sticking with it. And in all the games since then, Leeds, West Ham, Sunderland, who cares, Norwich, um, like there's no snooze button. We're basically going for 90 minutes to the best of our abilities. We're going at them. We're playing our football. Um, and I've been, you know, I listened to Lewis and Andrew on the uh, on their pod this morning. It was supposed to be a Wolves preview, but they just turned it into a general chat. And they were discussing what's different. And like, there's a few things that's different, I think, tactically. One is we're really leaning into Ramsdale and his mixed-up distribution from the back. And Tim talked about this when we bought him during the summer. One of the reasons we may have bought him was because he's actually really good at going long. Uh, but he's also really good at going short. And he does those medium-length daisy cutters up the middle of the pitch to Lacazette and Odegaard and whoever drops in. And that confidence is growing at the back with him and Gabriel. Gabriel's been a bit of a revelation to me with his passing out from the back. Ben White, okay, played full back in this game, but holdings all right at distribution. Um, and just generally, there's a kind of a clicking confidence in playing out, which has allowed us to move to party being the center of a V. So at least against the weaker teams, we're playing with a, a clear three in midfield when we build from the back. Chak is now that slider, the pivot who will we'll have a two-man pivot if we're under pressure or against a stronger team, I suspect, and we may see that against City. But otherwise, we've got a V in midfield, and Chak and Odegaard are symmetrically opposite sides of the midfield. Who would have expected that? And Chak is our slider, maybe, but Odegaard will also drop back in to pick up the ball. There's a nice symmetry. We've simplified our structure, Chaka, is not beholding to covering the left-back position. He might drop in occasionally to help build and spin it up to Tierney. But there's much more symmetry. We're attacking down two sides. And if you actually look at the team layout when Ramsdale has the ball at the back with Party just ahead of him, there's a really symmetric V up the pitch. The two full-backs tend to be the same height. Yes, Tierney will get a little further up. Uh, He'll be up and back a little bit, but like it, um, Andrew and Lewis were talking about Chaka being in the centre forward position in a couple of instances. Actually, that could have been Odegaard, Chaka. It's pretty symmetric. They're both playing that kind of 
almost an 8-10 roll. Now, this is against the weakest of opposition. I think it is a slider. It's a barometer of how how much pressure the other guys can push on us, how far uh, Chaka mirrors Odegaard. And stuff has clicked. People are in the right positions. They're making the <coughs> yeah. movements. They're making themselves available. I think a key part of it as well is Martinelli because he helps cover transitions against us. Like Chaka is all right against transition, but he's not great. Martinelli drops in, uh, cleans up a mess, covers back. Tierney can get up and back. Uh, something's clicked. Yeah, and and it's a lot better. And and I look. I mean, there is no denying Tim that playing a worse team gives you an opportunity to play better. But I think the volume of the chances we are creating is different. I think the quality of chances we are creating is different. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I don't think we saw this against weaker teams. And one of the things that I find so interesting is that all of a sudden. You know, we seem to be able to play one-touch passes right up the pitch. And this, this it sounds like such an easy, obvious thing. But, you know, I think back to the Brighton game. I think back to not even the Brighton game. I mean, because, all right, they're okay at it. and The weather was bad, and we talked about that. But, like, do you see – this doesn't have to be a long answer, but do you see the same thing I do that in this game, like, we were pinging passes to feet, right tempo, right spot, one touch, out we go, and, and linking play together with a sort of uh, a quality that – was missing before for reasons that I can't particularly explain. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to break the habit of a lifetime and refer to a Simpsons episode here. Um, one, of, one of the best ones, the Frank Grimes one. Um, oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a, a scene uh, when Homer has a disgruntled colleague who can't believe how lazy he is, but how like how much money he earns and how much people respect him and things like that. And he enters, um, he enters a competition for children um, mm-hmm. to design like a nuclear power plant and he wins it. And like Frank Grimes is like, he's entered a competition for children. And Lenny just shouts out, yeah, and he wiped the floor with them. And that's how I feel about <laughs> Arsenal at the moment. It's like, yeah, we played crap teams and we've battered them. We've absolutely yeah. battered them. It's not like we beat them both 1-0. Like Liverpool played away at Norwich and won 3-0. So we're two whole goals better than Liverpool. Um, that's official. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but and you know, we beat Leeds for it. Like, yeah, they're, they're crap. And so we sm- we didn't just beat them. We didn't just take the points. I mean, that would have been fine. I'd have been perfectly happy um, if we'd have won both games 1-0 and taken the six points. Thank you very much. We battered them. And you, you're right, that is different. I think um, why things are different. I mean, first of all, I'd say that the signs were there in the Everton and Manchester United defeats. And what made those defeats so frustrating, as we discussed at length, was that every time we got in trouble in those games, we attacked well. It's just what made those games frustrating was that for some reason we decided not to attack quite a few times and I I don't really understand why because when we did attack those teams we looked good like we still scored twice at Old Trafford and probably should have scored at least another one Um, and so you know that there has been attacking impetus in this team for for me I think the thing that's changed is just the balance Um, I think like the, the kind of, I guess, the different reasons banishment of Pepe and Aubameyang has, has just helped the balance of the attack. And that's not because either of those players are bad. They're not. They're, they're probably still, at the moment, the two most talented attackers we have. Now, I think Saka and Smith-Rowe might surpass both of them. 
um, eventually. Although I did very much take your point, Elliot, in your kind of soliloquy about um, this is no longer potential. And, and that really articulated something I've been trying to articulate myself for a while, that we need to stop talking about this team as a young, like a young team of like, like little chicks, you know, that don't know what they're doing. Like we, we talk mm-hmm. about youth so pejoratively, I think, and I think it's so unnecessary. And also they're actually not that young. They're like mainly like 22, 23, 24. Then like they're not kids. And the two players that are closest to kids are Smith Rowe and Saka. And they're probably our two best players. So I, I really and think we've got one to... of them's in England, a full on England international yeah. that's gone to the Euros final. And like, you look at Odegaard and Ramsdale and blah, 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 Ben White, they've played, Tommy Asso, they've played a shit. Odegaard's been football. playing since he was 15. So, like, they're, <laughs> they're experienced players. To your point about Saka, he has, he's what, 110, 150, somewhere like about 115 Arsenal appearances. Like, he's not wet behind the ears. Yeah. Um, but I don't but, mind the pundits saying it because it buys us a little room. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? But <laughs> among us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we've also got to stop using using it as an excuse when we don't play well as well. Uh, IMO, but but to to really answer the question about what's changed, I do just think the balance. I think with Martinelli there, we with Martinelli and Erdegaard there, we've got a press um, like Lac- Lacazette can do that. Um, but one of the reasons I think he kept burning out after sixty minutes was because he's he was kind of the only one that, that was really doing it. Like we were putting a lot on him in terms of pressing, but now Erdgaard's back in the team. Martinelli's there. The first two goals both come from Martinelli forcing a turnover. Yeah. And that's so valuable. That's so valuable. And that is an avenue we have ignored for far too long. Forcing turnovers, that's what creates the first two goals. And that wins us the game because then it's 2-0 and Norwich give up. So I I just think there's a nice balance between that front four. And you can see that Erdegaard's enjoying his football. You can see Lacazette's kind of linking it all up. You can see that Martinelli, without Pepe and Aubameyang there, Martinelli's the guy because that's been the big blocker for him, those two, because they're all quite similar. But they're out of the equation at the moment. So he's got the trust. He's got the shirt. He's getting a run of games. He doesn't have to try and do everything in 10 minutes. And I just think that that front four has got a really nice balance. And then you've got like Smith Rowe on the bench coming on and scoring um, all the time. It's, it's, it's just, it's not necessarily so much. I mean, it is about talent, but I think we've got a chemistry and attack that we've been missing for God, God knows how long, maybe since the days of Giroud, Ramsey, you know, Walcott, like yeah, you know, seven years ago, the, like there's a balance here. Yeah, the, the the distances look better to me. The relationships on the pitch look like they're working. There's there's a a way of linking the play now that that just seems a lot easier. I don't I don't know. Maybe it was that in the past when we were playing back to front, the the players had one option that was twenty yards away instead of two options that are three yards away. But but I'll say this, and. If I think about even the games that we lost or drew or didn't play well, when we decided to just go attack, we looked fearsome. The Everton game sucked, but when we went behind, we absolutely battered them. The Palace game was awful for stretches. I was there at the Emirates. It was a hard thing to watch. And at the very end, the last 10, 15 minutes, when we decided to go for them, it was outstanding. I mean, they were pinned in their own box. So I do think that there is a point at which it really is just about the willingness to be a bit more exposed at the back 
and put more resources into the attack. So one of the things that I, I want to talk about, I, I, I want to make sure we focus on Saka and Odegaard in particular on this pod, but we can get to them in a minute because one of the things that was a change in this game, Paul was getting to see Ben White at right back. Yeah. Um you know, and and the impact he made. And I think it's good, too, because this paves the way for Tomiyasu to play his natural position center back and Ben White to play his natural <laughs> position right back. And if there's anything that, that Paul and I have agreed on, it's that Tomiyasu isn't really a right back and Ben White isn't really a center back. So that's good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love to raise He's old debates. but me up. I am trying. I am trying. But, but it, it feels a little weird to start with a defender in a game we won 5-0. But I do think that Ben White's role at right back was important. And I think it does create a lot of options. I mean, it, it doesn't – you know – Obviously, Cedric had um, coronavirus, so it's possible he would have started this game. But I do think, you know, when you're looking at rumors of maybe Maitland-Niles leaving, seeing Ben White play that way at right back gives you a little flexibility and some options. So what did you think of that decision and that performance? Uh, His performance was good. Um, I liked it more second time around than the first time. I kind of thought it was a bit more vanilla the first time around. Clive liked it a lot and gave him his stock rising. And that was probably a Good shout in the end. Um, he's like he's just a very clever player. Now, he made a couple of mistakes. He had a bad back pass and got himself in a tangle at one stage. <clears throat> the back pass was funny because Arteta decided to try and coach him afterwards, and Ben White was just laughing. I think he was basically saying, um, I got a coach. Don't do bad back passes, and wasn't really listening to the coaching. It was kind of obvious what not to do. Um, he's, he's a clever cool customer um and uh, he kind of sets you up to play clever passes and play up the wing and um as as somebody we all know and love on twitter pointed out how he plays at fullback is, isn't too different to how he played for brighton as the kind of right center back in their back three i mean he would tend to push up that wing anyway <clears throat> Um, and keep pretty tight to that wing. So it's not a huge departure for him. At Leeds, he was clearly a centre-back in a back four for, you know, nine games out of ten. And he played 46 games uh, for them in that season, 90 minutes at a pop. So he's had plenty of back four experience, and he's played a right centre-back, and he's played a little bit of full-back, not very much. He's very natural in that position in many ways. I, I don't think it's the best use of his abilities. I I guess why, mm-hmm. why I get a little wound up is people always seem to be looking to push people into new positions and like, didn't they get the memo? We spent 50 million on this guy as a center back. I think that's an important point, just real quick, Paul, which is yeah. it, it could not have been the plan to spend 50 million on a center back unless you really felt he was an important future of your club at center back. You know what I mean? It wasn't to try to convert him into eight different positions. He is literally the archetype of what um, Mikel Arteta wanted as his right center back. So don't be getting all carried away about the other ways you can, you know, I have these conversations. He could fill in as a central midfielder. He could fill in like, sure he could. But if, if we do that more than once in a season, we're getting things wrong because if you like the way we play, it's partly because Ben White is your right center back. Even if the the emergence of that effect is is a little difficult to see, a bit like sometimes you don't like in this game. Uh, I remember uh, Andrew on his uh, ratings on 
on uh, Ars blog uh, said something to the effect of, you know, he had a quiet game and stuff. And I kind of felt that and I went back and looked at it. Some of his distribution was breathtaking in this game in which you felt he hadn't really been challenged. Like, just because he wasn't being challenged didn't mean he didn't make his life interesting. Some of the passes up the middle, uh, some of the short passes he played out when we didn't really have to, um, he's just full-on outdoing Ederson mode. And so you've got a number of players at the back, Ben White, Gabrielle, uh, Tommy Asu on this game, uh, Ramsdale, doing things that are changing how we play. It just gets into the water, into the DNA, and then you turn around and say, oh, well, what's what's really different? The fact that we're playing in a particular way, uh, I made some some comment about Ramsdale playing with his, his nuts out of his zipper for the whole world to see, right? He's just going for it. I don't know I'm if that's... I'm just going to let act- that one slide by. I'm not even going to have a reaction to it. I'm, I, I don't know <laughs> if it's an actual expression or if it should be I mean, it or shouldn't if it be. means anything. <laughs> it shouldn't be. I mean, I, I guess unless it's, it's a lead, uh, unless it's a lead into a, a lawnmower ad, nope. in which case it's totally fine, yeah. No, it, it could be, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, like, this stuff just gets into the water, the way Tierney – like, the, they all know where they're going to be. They're all like, – we sometimes talk about how we're set up, but it's the dynamics of it, right? Nobody actually stays in their position for too long or not Not a lot of these players. Martinelli, for those turnovers, uh, one of those turnovers was on the right wing, right? So that's the level of dynamism, but they're all filling in for each other and that understanding, and it's because these guys are doing – good things week in, week out, and they're starting to trust each other and starting to trust their football. I di- Can I disagree with you a little bit on the, say, the Crystal, Never, pa- no. Crystal Palace point about um, they attacked for a while and the problem is they're just not willing to take, kind of just attack and take risks at the back. I don't, I don't think that's it in the sense that they're still not looking to take risks at the back now. The balance is better so that they have the coverage so that people are filling in so that we're not when we go forward we're not actually exposed in midfield and the back we're a bit more exposed but it's not you know what i mean it's not like the old days with wenger where you'd feel like all 10 players were ahead of the ball we weren't but it felt like that and, and we just couldn't couldn't cover you, transitions i think where we could agree maybe so so i get it i'm not you know saying I, we're know just I'm, saying. Totally I'm not saying exposed. you're wrong but uh, the fra- like i do think the structure is still there. Like Arteta is never, ever going to let that go. Having I, I totally st- agree. But I think little things we've seen change since maybe like Newcastle saying, which is the right back definitely takes takes up more advanced yeah. positions than we were earlier in the season. And um, you're seeing players, I, I think Martinelli coming in for Smith-Rowe has also had the, the knock-on effect. This isn't a knock-on Smith-Rowe, but the knock-on effect that... Martinelli wants to run him behind more, and he's he's going to be more direct and and more on the last shoulder. Whereas Smith Rowe is going to come, you know, inside more and try to link the play maybe a bit more. And those little tweaks combined yeah. with a bit more pressing. Because remember, the other thing that pressing does when you press higher, more of your players are higher up the pitch, which means when you regain possession, you don't have to work it all the way from back to front yep. to get into chance creation, right? So I think yeah, yeah. those little tweaks make it look, but if you're pressing a little higher and if your fullback's in a little more of advanced position, then theoretically, if it fails, 
you have a bit more exposure at the back. But I think we've traded that off against weaker teams because as we saw against Leeds, who had a couple of opportunities, let's face it, Norwich had a couple of opportunities that they just shit away when we gave them the ball cheaply. But when you score five goals, right, and you have 19 or 20 or 21 or 22 shots at goal, it really doesn't matter if they get a chance or two. Yeah. So I think the but balance, I you're right about the balance. Structure. I yeah. think we keep our structure. Yeah, I just think the structure may have been a, a little more of a conservative structure, and now it's been maybe just slightly reconfigured. Well, look, one of the things, one of the players, Tim, who I think has benefited from whatever this change is and not just the opposition, more than maybe anybody, is Martin Odegaard since his return to the team. Mm-hmm. I remember that Palace game where he played sort of on the slant party and, and had to be in midfield more, and I thought he looked pretty lost, and it was a pretty dispiriting performance for him. And I look at him now between the lines, and he, I mean, he has been un playable. And again, Scott's by the numbers column, 33 shot creating actions since Odegaard came back into the team. He had six against Norwich, 55 shot creating actions for the season. That's 11th most in the Premier League, despite not playing some games, not starting some games. Three goal creating actions against Norwich, including two assists and three key passes, seven progressive passes tied for the most, and four passes into the penalty area, non-cross, led all players. Just a brilliant, brilliant game for him. And, you know, I do... I do accept that there may be some that's the opposition, but I think these fantasy players, these these sort of linking and chance-creating players who shine against lesser opposition are really important mm-hmm. to take these games out of the realm of being those close-run, nail-biting squeakers and turn them into laughers. And this is a laugher in part because Odegaard just dominated the game from that position. Do you think, since he's come back into the side, that maybe we're seeing him play more of the role that he's comfortable in where... He's closer to Saka. He's closer to Lacazette. He's a little further up the pitch and can press what he likes to do and can, you know, have some of those moments where he's doing black back flicks and disguised passes out to the channel as opposed to, you know, having to be in the middle with big burly midfielders and trying to, you know, trying to play 25-yard passes out to fullbacks. And so it just feels like the role suits him a little more now than maybe it was earlier in the season. Yeah, definitely. I, I think some of that is just due to a bit more familiarity um, in the midfield. I, th- I think he always looks better when Xhaka and Party are there, and Xhaka and, mm. Xhaka and Party looks like a good partnership. And you've got like a bit of a, a dotted line between those players. Um, he probably prefers playing with Lacazette as well. Lacazette tends to form. Um, better relationships with number 10s than well actually he forms good relationships with wide forwards because he likes coming short for the ball um i always thought lacazette and ozil um hit it off um i i also thought that lacazette and ramsey hit it off because ramsey was that kind of third man runner and so like having a number nine that likes to come short to the ball and combine before you then knock it in behind for one of the wide forwards, I just think there's more connections for him. There's more players closer to him. So, you know, he's quite close to Thomas Partey. He's quite close to Saka. He's quite close to Lacazette. And then, you know, you, you see how we stretch the pitch for that second goal and it's actually Tierney. He slips in behind um, because of some good work over on the other side. So I, I do think those relationships there are, are better for him. I have to say, I do think from the first game he came back in, which I think was against Newcastle, I thought, yeah, I thought he played really well against Newcastle. Not not quite to the, um, it, like, I think he's gone up maybe half a level in every game since he's been back. But I saw something in that Newcastle game and thought, yeah, yeah, th- this looks better. This looks like better Erdegaard. Um, and all your kind of caveats about him playing slightly deeper, maybe playing with uh, midfielders who, who don't quite have the relationship. So I, 
I do think um, there's credit due to Xhaka there um, as, as a more senior player and, and as one who I think, like I say, just has some better relationships in the team, which, which he should do by now, frankly, because nobody plays more than he does. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of that going on, but I think you could see, uh, and also having a player like Martinelli to aim for in behind, like you can see a lot, particularly when Odegaard does drift over towards the left side, uh, where Martinelli is, you can see that Martinelli's running just creates other angles. Even if it, because even if you don't pass to Martinelli, you've got Tierney there as well, or you've got Lacazette coming short. Like I think, in short, he's just got more options now. Whereas um, perhaps when we have a Bamiang up front, a Bamiang is like a you know a six yard box, eighteen yard box poacher, and I think he prefers service from wide. When I picture the Abamyang Arsenal goal, it's not someone slipping him through one on one, or even really slipping him in behind. It's um, you know we create like a cutback or a cross, and he he sweeps it in. Um, so I, I don't think like I don't think Abamyang really forms relationships with number 10s. I don't mm. think he ever really formed one with Ozil, for example. I think I think he did with Saka and Pepe. Like he likes he likes that wide delivery. So I do think that the team's taken a, like a big step towards Erdgaard. I do also think there's probably some soft factor stuff though, just him getting a run of games in you know a much more advantageous position for him. Party's playing better now again, which is probably in part due to Xhaka coming back it has to be said so I, I just think there there's more connectivity and when when I think about this attack now it's um and we covered this in depth on the instant reaction pod like there's there's just there's players everywhere in those forward positions you've got your wide players you've got players inside you've got kind of Lacazette coming short and linking it all up so I do think that the team's taken a bit of a step towards Erdegaard just because there's there's more link, there's more balance. Um, and, and I think basically when you have Lacazette and Martinelli, you kind of have, you have the guy who runs in behind and you have the guy who comes short. And then you've got Saka um, and Smith-Rowe when he comes on who do both. And that's what separates, I, I think, our young attackers from our more senior attackers. There's a bit more variety in the way they play. And I'd include Martinelli in that, by the way. I think he's much better mm. at, at coming short to the ball, receiving it to his feet, running at players. Um, I, I think he's gotten much better at that. And, and that's the advantage of having like Martinelli there over Pepe and Aubameyang because Pepe and Aubameyang can't really... Well, Pepe... Well, basically, those players are the players they are, and that's kind of the end of it. Whereas with a Martinelli, you maybe you start with a player who only really runs in behind, but you can still coach him to come short to the ball. Yeah, you you can't coach Abamyang to do that at this stage. So, I I just think the attack is just looking a lot more balanced, and that that's working for everybody at the moment. And just like it was no coincidence that there were a lot of players not scoring earlier in the season. It's not a coincidence you go through that attack and they're all playing well. Yeah, and I'm going to say something that's going to blow people's minds, but the more you practice something, the better you get at it. (laughs) Um, Look, Tim, you know soft factors aren't my favorite. That doesn't mean they don't exist. They absolutely exist. But I think we can sort of confuse confidence for opportunity or, or, or vice versa, confuse opportunity for confidence. And I'll explain what I mean. Why is Saka suddenly finishing? Was it that Saka was a bad finisher early in the year and now he's more confident in front of goal? I don't know that I believe that. 
But how many shots do you think Sack has taken in the last four games versus the previous 10? How many has Martinelli taken? How many has Odegaard taken? How many passes has Odegaard been able to make in the final third and in the penalty box in the last three or four appearances versus the whole season? So when you play more up the pitch and when you take 20 shots, just do the math, right? Let's say a team takes 24 shots, okay? How many shots is Saka going to get in that game? Four or five? What if the team takes seven shots? What's he going to get? One? We were in a situation earlier in the season where, you know, Paul, I think when we got a shot, we had to score it because we were only going to get five or six more the whole game. But when you can miss two or three, and it's okay because you can still score two or three because you're going to get more time on the ball in the penalty box, more shots from, from close range. When you're Odegaard and you, your foot's on the ball at the top of the box constantly as opposed to twice a game where people are fixated on, oh, he had a chance to slip in Oba and he didn't do it, and it's literally the only time we were in the final third, people are going to focus on that. No one focuses on the time, oh, he could have played Saka in there if he played him in seven other times in the game, right? So when you have more opportunity, you can look more confident. You know, I I often quote the statistic about Mohamed Salah missing more big chances than other players, things like that. It's simply the point that people notice your misses when you get fewer opportunities. When you get more opportunities, no one really notices the misses if you've scored two or three along the way. It may seem simplistic, but I think that the way we are playing now Gives is more forgiving of our attacking players. It doesn't ask them to be perfect in the fleeting moment where a chance comes. It asks them to be good enough a few times a game with the avalanche of chances that they're getting. And, um, you know, I, I, th- I think it's brilliant, obviously. I, I really, really, really want to um, talk Saka for a minute because I think it leads into an interesting conversation about talent generally. But if we are going to talk about talent and, you know, acquiring talent, then obviously this is the perfect time to be talking about indeed. Thanks to the great resignation, which, you know, maybe some people might do from this pod if I keep confusing them for other people on the pod. You know, that could be another issue. The job market is filled with once-in-a-generation talent, kind of like Bukayo Saka. So how is your organization going to put together an all-star team? Well, they could call London Colney. Your front office needs an all-star roster. You need Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. January transfer window's opening, just saying. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessment, and Virtual Interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. So can we do like an Instant Match sponsored post for a striker? Just wondering. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. And being in the top four helps, too. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash vision. $75 credit at Indeed.com slash vision. That's Indeed.com slash vision. Offer valid through December 31st. My goodness, not a lot of time. Get to it. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Clive? Nope, he's not here. I can say his name multiple times. It's not like um, Beetlejuice. If I say it three times, he does not appear. I guess, what, would it be the Candyman? Or what's, what's the one that's more hip for young people that you say three times and he appears? I guess there's a well, lot of versions. Candyman was five times. Not sure Candyman, mm. making Candyman appear was something that you wanted, though. Well, did you want to make Beetlejuice appear? I mean, not really, but given a choice between the two, 
I think the guy with the rusty hook um, is mm. probably not the one I want to see the most. Well, I think we'd all agree more than either of them. We'd love to make Clive appear, but Clive appears enough and we don't need to do that right now. Paul, um, Bukayo Saka, good at football. Yeah. Yeah. I, You know, one thing I was talking about in my, my short uh, instant reaction that I shouldn't have done is I think that there is this thing we do where we decide that a player has potential. And then it becomes very hard to decide when they need to actually become the player that has the potential. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, like, Bukasak is filled with potential. Well, no, actually, Bukasak is just a really, really good player. And so there becomes this point where you say, when when do we see, when do we go from saying that guy is trending towards being able to be a star to that guy being a star? And I think like with Saka, it's right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's right now. And he has the confidence and I'm going to use confidence there, to take his shot. He doesn't defer to the more senior Lacazette or maybe the you know the expensively acquired Odegaard or, or try to find Martinelli who's on a hot streak. He has the confidence to take on his shot in big, high-leverage situations. He has the ability, he's sort of a one-cut player. He doesn't do the Pepe thing where he tries to beat a guy three times or twice. He picks the way to beat him, gets past him, and makes a decision quickly. Um, you know, And sometimes it's the pullback, sometimes it's the curler. But all the things that were in his game before, which were great, were great. But we all said, yeah, well, you know, got to start adding the end product. I mean, there was even a talk at the beginning of the season of him getting off to a slow start should Pepe play. And given the summary he had, it's not surprising. But right now, I think what we are seeing is this isn't about potential anymore. This is the realization of that potential. Um, you know, and I'm curious what you thought of him this game because I thought watching him, it was like watching the transformation of this this player into star. You know, he's, re- he's really the star of the team now. It was like watching his transformation of his potential. So you're also a potential merchant like me. Look, I do think potential is a thing. It's just this is the right season to be talking about it. I think it's happening right now. Um, that second goal of his, that that's uh, one he curls uh, into the far corner, is an absolute peach. The first one's a little bit jammy. I actually think the keeper, if Cruel had been playing, he might have kept it out. It's a bit of a kind of a between-the-legs kind of thing. I like mm, this. Yeah. At least he got it off. If you're getting the shots, you get some of those. The second one is... But, but doesn't that lean into my point a little bit too, yeah, yeah, Paul, right? Yeah. Which is if you take seven shots in a game, you have a better chance of one getting underneath the keeper, right? Full show, yeah, yeah as the young people say. Given, yeah. given that word, I don't know. Beat me. Uh, I know a young person. Yeah. Um, so, like, the second goal, though, is the one that's where you're gone beyond potential, where you're starting to do it. I do think one of the things that helped him and it is helping him is the fact that everybody else is scoring, right? Smith Rowe, Odegaard, uh, Martinelli, um, all them young fellas his age. And, and like, so that idea that you get the ball to Aubameyang and Aubameyang's our striker and I should do this scary thing called scoring. It's like everybody's scoring all the time. Like that's... I like playing crap teams for a while because you come out of that and you kind of, it's a bit like losing your virginity, right? You just get all that. Yeah. Um, You get all that behind you. It's done. You don't even think about it anymore. You score goals. When you get into those positions, you, and you're sacky, you you get on your left, you shift it, you shift it again. You do your R in Robin, your uh, Riyad Mahrez, which is actually the, comparison that comes a little more closer to mind 
And when you get the angle, when you get the moment, you you know where to hit it. And you like he should be a great finisher. He should be a great sco- goal scorer. There's nothing he can't do with that left foot of his. And he may be just making the Pepe discussion more and more redundant as Martinelli has made the Aubameyang discussion more and more redundant. I think there's an interesting conversation around, and and Lewis and uh, Andrew this morning started it for me, about the thing about Lacazette is you want an upgrade on him because you want a striker who can sometimes just grab a game himself and, and score and stuff. And I get that, and I... I'd love an upgrade on Lacazette, but I also think we're starting to now see the reason you have a Lacazette and that there are fewer games you need your striker to step up and solve your problem for you when that striker is the guy dropping in and making our play better in the first place. There's going to be fewer games where Saka, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe aren't getting into those positions and getting that goal for you because of the way he plays. Um, so I think it's a trade-off and I don't know for sure that, that I buy what I just said fully in terms of Lacazette fulfill, finally fulfilling his promise for us and making, making perfect sense uh, late in his career, but it's kind of an interesting narrative he's on for us going into the second. The reason I picked mm. him as a, my stock rising in the instant reaction pod was not because he had his best ever game or because he was brilliant or because he did something new. It's because we played him for 90 minutes again, basically. And so game after game now, we're saying this guy can run and run. Now, I thought the Wolves game was up in two days after that, so that was an even bigger endorsement of his mm. his fitness measures. But whither goeth um, our boy Lacazette, potentially tither go, goeth the second half of our season, as Shakespeare would have said. Yeah, yeah, famously. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you that... We, we are in a very strange position now of being near the end of our time with Lacazette and also being fully wedded to him in terms of... Finally our, falling in love. Yeah, our outlook Lacazette. on the season. Yeah. Well, because... And, and that's not to knock Eddie Nketiah or the theory of Martinelli at striker, but if you look at what Lacazette's doing, often playing as a midfielder at times and linking play, whatever striker options we have beside him, None of them really sort of do what he's doing. I mean, the irony is you could talk me into the idea that Pepe is someone who does it, but both because of the AFCON and because of, you know, Pepe stuff, I don't see that happening either. Tim, I, I want to uh, move on to some other topics, but I want to give you the chance, and you talked about him just a little bit, but really quickly to weigh in on the Saka thing. I mean, do you think we are now seeing transition from potential to realization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, the the only thing we wanted to see from him, and well, I guess it's the biggest thing really, was <clears throat> was greater end product. And <laughs> what better way to answer that than with two really well taken goals, three shots all from inside the area? Um, we, I think, we all know that he has that in him, and and I don't think there's been any great big panic about. Um, about us seeing that more often for me it's just a case of how how high does he go in terms of you know scoring goals per season does he like I I think he will be a double figures player uh, probably this season and so then it's just like what you know what's he going to be in like three years when his his end product will probably you know start to hit a bit of a ceiling or a bit of a plateau like will he be a 15 goals a season guy will he be in like the Perez Jungberg like getting more towards 20 will he be a t- you know 
I, I think it's just a case of what that number will end up being. But I think we've all seen for quite a while that it's there, particularly when he plays on the right, because why do you play him as an inverted winger, right? You play someone as an inverted winger because you want them to shoot on their strong foot. That's what you yeah. want from them. Um, but also I think Saka has, he has a great cross off the left uh, when he gets onto the corner of the 18-yard box and he kind of switches it back onto his left and puts it towards that back post. I think he's got a really good cross on him as well from there. And so, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're re- that was all, we, like given everything he achieved last season the performances were brilliant you can see why he's so good in broken play he's so good at turning away from players and he's so good at getting you like from the middle third to the final third like we've been seeing that for ages and I think what we wanted to see more of was okay that's like the middle third to the the final third that's the moderate value stuff that's the stuff Xhaka does um, and really what we need or want to see for this guy to be considered a world-class forward or wide player is is more goals, oh. more assists. And I lost he Tim really Briefly. Like he's, what, what do you well, think he was um, going to He's to responding say. to that a in, in a pretty big way. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was hearing. <laughs> um, Tim, are you, uh, and Tim has gone offline, which gone. is really he's worrying he's because I have no idea. If torrential rains, storms. Um, his shed in the favela has been swept away by a a a, 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 a mudslide down the hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is, regardless of whatever happened, Tim appears to be here still. Tim, you are here still. I believe so. Yes. Okay. Good. And was I correct that you were saying that um, he was going to become a, an extraordinary asshole? <laughs> world class world, world, world class asshole yeah. who Bukayo Saka yeah 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 mm-hmm. um, no. Uh, no that wasn't what I was saying oh. um, but but let's just pretend I was okay well we, we can move on from that the important thing is he's amazing and we have him and I, I couldn't be happier and I, I think you know it sounds so reductive and obvious but when your talent is at, at that end of the pitch the way ours is getting more chances and spending more time up there obviously you're going to start to see improvement from Odegaard from Saka I want to talk a little bit about the midfield, though, Tim, and I'll stay with you for a second. I think the Shaka party partnership is one of those things. There are many people, myself included, who are ready for us to eventually move on from Shaka. We're not doing it yet, and I certainly have to acknowledge that when he and party get a run in the team, they do seem to create a really effective partnership. And I thought this was another good game for them. And the player that seems to be really coming into his own now is Thomas Party. And I'm curious how you parse his improvement. And I love what Clive said on the instant reaction, which is he's always sort of felt that the criticism of party has been a bit over the top. But when you see him in this game and what he's doing and see the things that he can do when he's on it, it makes it a little clearer what we're missing when he wasn't having these kind of performances. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you balance how much of it is his partnership with Shaka, how much of it is just getting an injury-free run. I remember this was a Ramsey problem, right? He'd come back from injury looking awful. But four or five games later, he'd look unstoppable. And and Party hasn't really in his Arsenal career been able to build up too many of those runs. He's on one now. He's got Granite Shaka next to him. So is it partnership? Is it a run in the team? What do you think is specifically working about central midfield right now that maybe wasn't just a little while ago? I think it's probably both of those things. And um, excuse me, one sec. <coughs> yeah, sorry. Edit that. Is that a God bless you or just a cough? <laughs> that, just a cough. Okay. Um I'll start again. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it, so don't worry. <laughs> it's not getting removed. I don't have the energy for that. 
Fair enough. So I, I think it's um I think it's both of those things. I think there's also a good chance and um, I, I haven't totally made up my mind about this because uh, I, I need more data. Um, but I think there's a good chance that Party's just quite a spotty player anyway. Um, and that maybe we're just seeing some of that, that he had a few bad games and now he's had a few good games. And maybe that's the player he is. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it isn't. Maybe that's just the Arsenal player he has been due to um, some of the some of the kind of um, scenarios around him with injury and things like that, and, and I guess earlier in the season not really having that regular partnership, I, I definitely think those things have helped one hundred percent. And I think having a slightly more functioning attack helps because, again, just like I was saying about Erdegaard, the distances um, between players that helps your central midfielders as much as it helps your attackers and your wide players. And, and so there's, there's a little bit like all of this, we're talking about a lot of players who look like they've come into form. And, and like you said earlier, Elliot, that that's not a coincidence. That's not because all of a sudden they've all just decided to hit their straps. That's because the team's functioning better. And I, for one, I'm just delighted that we've got this form out of Thomas party just before he goes to AFCON so that we've, um, we've kept him, we've, kept him nice and fresh for Ghana so that they benefit um, from all of this. I'm, I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> but but nevertheless, I, yeah, I, I thought he was... I thought for a couple of games he just looked good again and sometimes that's just what a player needs. Like when they've dropped a couple of three out of tens, a six or seven out of ten is sometimes weirdly more helpful than like a ten out of ten, and you get like a, a noisy player who's you know a bit like Abu Dhabi was, you know, who who would lurch from three out of ten to nine out of ten one week to the other, um, and actually putting in a couple of solid six or sevens that builds your platform, and uh, and we got we got you know an eight out of ten out of him yesterday uh, against Norwich, so um, I, I think. It's it's probably all of those things, and and I dearly dearly hope that when he comes back from Afcon, he can he can pick that back up, and that you know maybe some of those players that are that are playing really well are, are still there and still playing really well. And to be fair, without Europe, there is a better chance of that for us. I think. Yeah, and and I mean it is so unfortunate that he has to leave because this is what we've been waiting for, right? A run in the side, a a consistent partnership in midfield and seeing the best of what the player has. And it's a shame we're not going to be getting that. And Paul, I'll shift slightly more to the sack, the Shaka side of this with you, because I mean, it, it really can be true that a player can be hugely important to your team and central to what your team does well. And also have limitations such that your team will need to graduate beyond that player to get better. And I sort of think that's where I fall with Granite Shaka, which is simply that I admire the things he does well. When he is playing well, it is great to see. And there are things about his game that really are indispensable for us. And I can simultaneously believe that I think we can also go up a level when we find a longer-term solution to him. So I don't think those are inconsistent perspectives, but he's certainly playing well right now. I think the last few appearances we've seen from him have been some of his best. You know, again, opposition notwithstanding, because you still have to go dominate those games. You don't just get two for walking on the pitch. And I know you have a very specific feeling about his the energy he brings, because this was another game in a row where it was going to be a stroll in the park. You could see that pretty early on. And Shaka does get involved in a situation that raises the temperature. 
And I think because of our priors with this player and our history with this player, there's a tendency to roll the eyes and be like, oh, what are you getting involved in? But I know you have a, a lot more patience for that, uh, particularly in these last two games. So do you want to sort of expand on on where you fall on, on that side of his game, in particular the, the emotional side, the needle side? Yeah, I think he is much more a a manager and a teammates player than a fans player. Um, he gets I under our well said, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think he gets under our skin. The good news is he also gets under their skin in terms of the opposition. You need these players who light a fire uh, within their team, within their dressing rooms, because. Seasons go on, up and down. It's a grind. And there's always a couple of guys. So I think there's a really interesting conversation, the Roy Keane conversation. And like the the point you've made, and I think it's a really good point, and other people have made it, Roy Keane was uh, at his best, kind of the be- one of the best players in the league, the best player in the league of what he did, plus or minus one or two. Vieira, the same. You could, And then you got your Joey Bartons, who kind of, burn hot but they don't have the talent but Granit Xhaka is one of the best midfielders in the league so that's one thing the second thing is your Roy Keynes they didn't get sent off that much um Granit Xhaka doesn't actually get sent that off that much um he gets one a year and he's already had this year's red card so that's out of the way but they bring a level of intensity of they bring the competition, even when there's not that much at stake. Um, and we don't like the way they bring it because it seems each incident seems unnecessary, stupid, ridiculous. What was the benefit from that? Uh, but they are the enforcement, the 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 drive, the anger, the stupid competitiveness that drives a dressing room, and. We don't always like how it expresses itself. But you, I think most good teams need one of these guys. It would be great if he was a worldie and then we could say, oh, well, you put up with it because he's a worldie. But I don't think uh, Ferguson, like if you ever hear Ferguson or Neville or somebody talking about Roy Keane, they didn't say we put up with Roy Keane's shenanigans because he was a world-class player. They liked his shenanigans. It got the fire going. So, like, there was the, this discussion in the Norwich game, the Leeds game. Oh, did we stoke up their side? Fuck their side. Did it stoke us up? Did we feel like a team? Do we take that from game to game? Like, there's this thing about Arsenal going up north or away to teams as we were against Norwich and Leeds. Okay, we didn't find them in their best state. But they genuinely think, oh, here comes soft Arsenal. They don't like it up them. They'll try and outplay us. And, uh, you know, some people think, oh, just outplay them. Well, you won't outplay them every day. You won't outplay them away from home in bad weather when you're in all form. Sometimes you just got to grit it out and you got to go for it. And, like, we won't like the downside of it when it goes too far. I don't know that Chaka is my perfect representation of the guy I want doing this because sometimes his cup runneth over and we know that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, for fun. And it's not like, like there's even the, I'd almost make a differentiation between like some things he does are just totally fucking stupid. Uh, but most of the time, 
there's a kind of a needle, a benefit. Even if you don't see it in that moment, it's in the intensity we bring as a team. And the fact that the other guys, when you have a badass in your group, the other guys can relax, right? Mm. They get to play football when you need some intensity. Gabrielle, Chaka, one or two other mad bastards are there for you, and you can join kind of in the policy. And we saw that against Norwich three or four times, well, certainly two times, where it wasn't one guy, it was five, six guys, and we were needling them, Ben White joining in. Like, you mightn't like that, you mightn't think that's what football's about, but this is the way it's played. It's kind of a low-level war. Mm. And you've got to bring the fucking intensity. You can't be a bunch of choir boys. You can't. You got to have it when you need it. Sometimes we'll have it when we didn't need it, um, and and we'll be intensely frustrated with him. But he's had his one red card, um, <clears throat> and we might be okay for the rest of the season. But this is something I'm experimenting myself with as a theory because I just think we don't understand. Like after Saka's second goal. Granite Chaka runs over and tries to kick him up the arse, and the mm. two of them have a big laugh. Like the, We didn't really get David Luiz's effect in the team. When he left the team, there was a lot of, why do the players like him so much? We don't get it. Yeah, but but he was a player. He was a player and a manager's player more than a fan's player. I, I will tell you that I think you said something that really resonated with me about this player, which is that he winds us up. You know, he gets under our skin. Yeah. So, look, you brought up Roy Keane. Some people bring up Patrick Vieira. I, I think this is the point. You probably do need some needle in your team. You probably do need someone that is the bastard. And the players probably appreciate having that person in their team. I think the challenge for fans is, if the player's already kind of on your tits because there are things about them as a player that annoy you, and then they go and do something that's kind of bastardy, there's a tendency to be like, oh, come on, man. Why always this guy, right? But if it's Robin Van Persie doing it and he scored 30 goals that season, he's your bastard, right? And so I do think that our frustration with Shaka, if you have it, is more reflection of your frustration with him as a player. I would be willing to bet that the people who like Shaka the player more find his needle, his the devil in his game, more appealing. And the people that are more frustrated by Shaka the player are more inclined to be bothered by that side of his game. I remember Francis Coughlin getting sent off in a North London Derby and I was just done with the guy. But to be fair, I was kind of done with him anyway. Right. So sometimes those players that have that attitude that the opposition fans hate, well, if you don't love the player, you're probably not going to like the attitude. And I, I you know, I think I do think there's a, a, a tendency to say, yeah, but if only he were smarter about it, but that misses the point. This isn't about smartness. This is about fucking a burning intensity that even he doesn't always control. But the point is he doesn't control it, and that's why he always has it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim, do you want to weigh in on on that side of Shaka's game? Because then I want to wrap up with a a couple things, uh, including the small matter of Emil Smith-Rowe contractually being required to score from every shot. Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean... uh, just even generally speaking, not specifically about Xhaka, so with something like this as well, when it comes to, you know, needle, giving a bit back, whatever, because it's such a soft, invisible factor, you it's it, you're like you can't judge it any other way than by results, which is actually not the best way to judge things. As we've, as we've established, you judge things by process. process yeah. mm-hmm. But 
but there is no process here. It either works or it doesn't. Like yesterday, Xhaka gets involved. And I have to admit, when it first happened, I was really torn because I was like, on one hand, I'm glad he's sticking up for his teammate. And I think that there is long term, I think big picture, there is benefit in all of that. But then there was another part of me that was thinking, God, like these guys were sleepwalking to, to defeat and we might have just wound them up. But then we scored. Yeah. And now, did we score because we were wound up, because they were wound up? Did it have no impact at all? I mean, I tend to think it's probably the latter. But the thing is, you don't know. So when with stuff like that, you can only ever really judge it by result and that, you know, by outcome. And that's not always the best way to judge it because sometimes... Yeah, all right, let, let's personalise this with Xhaka. Sometimes he does something like that and we go down to 10 men at Man City and lose 5-0. Sometimes he does something like that and we immediately score and we beat Norwich 5-0 away. So it's, it's it's really, really difficult to judge. And I think with stuff like, you know, needle sticking up for your teammates, you know, maybe putting a naughty boot in where you shouldn't, I think you've got to judge that more in the long term. And when you look at, say, let's say, Arsene Wenger's early teams, we got a lot of red cards, but overall, I think that there was still value in that team saying, you can't, if, if you want to take the gloves off, we'll take the gloves off. And I think the same here. I think it's almost a bit like burning a few good players, you know, to instill culture or whatever. I think there's there's something quite similar here where it's like, you know what, maybe we've got, we're going to have to take a few red cards to make this point. Yeah, and the the only... I guess the downside you could say is he talks himself into some stupid yellow cards that if it leads to a suspension, right, him missing a game, that hurts the team. But yeah, I I, I am inclined to think that Granite Shaka, until he leaves Arsenal, will just be a player that divides opinion because he's never going to be great enough consistently enough to win over the skeptics, and he's never going to drop to a level bad enough that the people that like him see the see the negative side consistently so i think he's he will probably always be a bit yeah a stride yeah. stride that um that divide and also i think we've seen that for better and for worse he, he's not really into self-reflection no that's a that's a good point so yeah i i think you know the 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 reality with granite Xhaka is that right now i think it is fair to say we are better with him in the team i think it is harsh on lakanga to some extent that he is not playing because I don't think he did anything Liverpool aside that warrants him being dropped from the team. But the way we are playing and the way Shaq is playing, it's his position. And I, I think that's totally fair. Um, and I, I would not, you know, I wouldn't, I would not change that at this moment, although there may be a moment where that changes. So um, I, I want to finish up just with Emma Smith Rowe for a minute, because I think we are in a really interesting situation where the, <laughs> the two guys who are competing for that left wing starting shirt, you know, for, for the shirt are both very different players and are both guys that can't stop scoring goals. And that is a really, really interesting thing because like they, they, as different as they are, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to drop Martinelli. He gives you pressing. He gives you direct running. He always looks like he's going to score. Unlucky, I felt, not to score in this game uh, with the offside goal. Um, but then Smith Rowe comes on. He's on for nine minutes, and he scores. And people can be like, well, Smith Rowe's running really hot. He's not going to continue to score at this rate. Sure, that is probably true. I think he's got eight goals from 3.4 expected. But like his goal in this game is a 
expected goal. It's a 70% chance. So you do kind of expect someone to finish that. And he's got a knack for those too. It's a great problem to have. And I sort of wonder where that goes for now. So Tim, what do you think is the the next step on that left wing? Because I get the sense, you know, if Martinelli plays every game, he may not score every game, but he, he's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to lead to goals being created. And he's been influential in the way we're playing. But you could make the very same argument about Smith Rowe. How do you how do you see that being balanced? And and what do you make of the just outrageous goal scoring run that, that that Smith Rowe is on? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, at the moment, and particularly again when we've really only got one game a week, and in many ways losing that Wolves game has probably. Um, you know, I mean, it's a nice problem, but created a bit more of a problem because had it been played, I'm sure Smith Rowe would have started um, and maybe Pepe would have started as well or or maybe in Ketia. Like some of those guys have, have lost a game now and we haven't got Europe either. I mean, the answer really is going to be um, some rotation. And uh, but but it's it's difficult to see how you do that at the moment. Like we're playing Man City next. I, I think I think it will be exactly the same. Um, and we've seen before that Arteta generally that's his attitude to team selection. If if players are playing well, he keeps playing them. So I think he'll do the same there. But but in January, you know, we've got Nottingham Forest. We've got those two legs against Liverpool. And that's when, assuming no one's like injured before then anyway, I think that's when, you know, maybe like a Smith Rowe comes in and gets, you know, gets starting again. And if he starts and scores or whatever against Nottingham Forest or, you know, against Liverpool in particularly the first leg, there's probably, there's going to have to be a measure of rotation somewhere. And yeah. so I, I think that's really going to be the answer. And in about three weeks' time, we'll be talking about how another one of those players can't get back in the team. And, and we might even do something absolutely crazy, like rest Bukayo Saka for a game. And perhaps, yeah, exactly. And perhaps have one of those players on the right. Um, so, and, and the good thing for someone like Smith Rowe is as well, he can, he can play, um, as you know, he can play in, in ahead of Odegaard or Saka or Martinelli. Like there's three spots there for him. Hopefully the false nine experiment is not repeated. Um, I'd like to think that if, and when we give Lacazette a rest, that'll be Enketia, maybe even Martinelli. Maybe that's another way you get them all in. That'd be um, interesting. It would yeah. be fun. Maybe, maybe you do it for, you know, one of Forest. the Liverpool. Well, or, the yeah. problem with Forest, right. Is what do you learn? And then you're also not yeah, able yeah. to you're not rotating and resting against you know against a weak in opposition. But one of those Liverpool legs, that could be interesting. Cause I think Liverpool will go really, really weakened for those. Mm-hmm. But yep. you know, even a weakened Liverpool is a reasonable test. And and it's African nations anyway, so they'd have they'd been weakened, whatever. Because yeah, point, yeah. <laughs> you know, their two best players aren't going to be there. So um yeah, I, I I think those cup games, that's that's probably when you, you start to see stuff. I'd be very, very surprised if there was any change made for Man City unless um, you know, Arteta tries to go a bit galaxy brain again, like Willian Force Nine kind of stuff. He and um, Pep do I, seem to do that for each other a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I have to say, I don't see that. I think he'll keep it the same um, for City and then Forest, Liverpool. That that's when you'll begin to see a little measure of rotation again. And you know, for someone like Pepe, big loser there because the, those are games that he could have played as well. But he'll be off with Ivory Coast, so that's not going to happen. Yeah, one of my big complaints about Arsene Wenger towards the end was like, oh, you know, he doesn't do tactics, right? Well, I never said it that way or oversimplified, but it was the idea that like, 
what he did to beat a bad Sunderland side was the same thing he'd tried out at Chelsea and you'd lose 6-0. But like, as a result, we didn't have the vicissitudes of performance and and approach so that when the big games went away and the small games came back, you'd just dominate those teams again. Mm. This is going to be an interesting period for Arteta because now this thing we've found against these lesser sides is going to be tested against the bigger sides. And it may not hold up. But that's not a reason to abandon it. And so nope. my only hope is, Tim, that he he can sort of stick with what he's found, even if it doesn't necessarily get him what he's hoping for in you know in the tougher games. One hundred percent. And that's why I was behind the <laughs> Liverpool, the four 0 Liverpool defeat, because yep. mm-hmm. he, he kept doing this, you know, he did the same thing. And look, like you say, it's going to be a weakened Liverpool side. But I think the Man City game, I think that's really interesting because I don't think anyone's saying we must win. Um obviously it'd be very nice if we did, but like let's really see how far this team has come like do we compete and I'm not talking compete like we lost 1-0 to Man City last year but it was like they went 1-0 up after two minutes and then didn't let us have the ball it wasn't a competition really it was a sterile 1-0 like can can we hurt them can we turn it into a bit of a game that that's going to be really really interesting for me I, I think um it feels like yardstick time, particularly because we've had our pants pulled down by Man City and Liverpool already this season. So there is already a barometer there. Um, and I think that City League game in particular is going to tell us a lot. Yeah, I, I have no idea what to expect. I mean, I know what to expect, so to speak, but I have no idea how we will react to that. I think this run has been brilliant, but I wouldn't say it was great preparation for the test on New Year's Day. Um, there's something hard about playing such weaker teams. And even if we've done brilliantly playing them and then trying to transition to playing Manchester city away. But I think, um, I think it'll be a good measuring stick as you say. And the good news is I think because it comes on the back of this positive feeling, Tim, look, some people are determined to be outraged no matter what set those people aside. I think because we have done so well and there's so much data backing, it's not just we've looked good. The data is really round. I mean, our goal difference, look at that for just as a basic one. But like, I tend to think that if it doesn't go well against City, we won't see the depth of frustration and anger that we've seen in the past when things weren't going well outside of the big games. So maybe yeah. a bit of a, a difference there psychologically. Yeah, definitely. Just look at the reaction to the Liverpool defeat, which was a heavy defeat and a bad one compared to Everton and Manchester United. I, I think that that's what you pro- like. It feels it feels like we're in free swing territory, yeah. particularly because we're a few games ahead, and perhaps the table is telling a little bit, telling some porkies in our favour um, at the moment. So I, I think that would buy us. Uh, that, you know, that buys the team a little bit of breathing space. However, you know, if we get if we get battered again, maybe less so. Yeah, well, we'll find out. There's time for that. We'll have another podcast this week to discuss it. So let's leave it there. I will tell you, this has been a recording played by um, technological problems. And uh, so I'm just hoping that when I stop recording, we'll have something to stitch together for you. But that'll do it for now. We'll probably try to squeeze in a rewatch tomorrow or something of that nature. And, um, you know, a full, a full pod on Thursday. We're going to start the transfer window content pretty soon. So there'll be... Uh, scouting videos and and things of that nature. And on the free side, we'll have live streams for that as well. So a little something for everybody. Most important thing is that we just appreciate you being here one way or the other. So Tim's on Twitter. Tim Berto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! It should be evident he's been gone for a while now, by the way. And, uh, my name's Alex Finnick, Bachman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, City Note.